Welcome to Hope Renewed, the podcast of PIR Ministries. Thanks for connecting to Hope Renewed, the in-depth podcast about pastoral renewal and restoration. I'm Tom Jameson, and along with co-host Sean Nemechek, we explore the issues and challenges pastors face and help cultivate a renewed hope for healthy ministry lives. So, Sean, one of the statistics that really interests us is that on any given Sunday, half of the Protestant congregations in the U.S. have 75 or fewer in worship, and that's, that's without COVID restrictions being applied. In fact, studies are showing that close to 60% of Protestant churches consist of less than 100 active participants, and up to 85% have fewer than 200 members. This means a, a lot of pastors are ministering in a small church context, and we're concerned about the unique challenges and stresses that brings. Yeah, today we have a special guest. Chris Vitarelli is a pastor of the Road Community Church in Fenton and Howell, Michigan. Uh, he's the author of four books, and he created a conference specifically to encourage leaders from small churches. Uh, they gather together to learn how these low-volume churches can have a big impact in the community. Chris Vitarelli, welcome to Hope Renewed. Thanks for having me, Sean. It's great to be here. It's a pleasure to see you, my friend. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry story. Well, I guess I can start by saying, uh, you know, you and I know each other, uh, not only from ministry, but uh, you were a part of uh, the conference. You were the first registrant ever for the Small Church Big Deal Conference. So that's going back five years, but we've known each other even a little longer than that. So it is good to be here with you. So yeah, my my story, I guess I, I want to go back because it does inform uh, kind of how my ministry has gone, but I was Called, I think, to ministry in high school. I felt God leading in that way when I was still uh, probably a junior going into my senior year of high school. But I successfully said no to the Holy Spirit for a couple years. <laughs> and, that, um, and I joke about that because you're not successful saying no for very long. Um, and I remember uh, the beginning of my sophomore year of uh, Cedarville University, I went into my advisor I told him, I said, I, I think I need to make a change or I need to declare a major and uh, it needs to be ministry. And I think he was a little disappointed at that time. I was involved in theater arts and was looking at maybe acting and, and he said, okay, well, we'll do it. And I, I still remember signing the dotted line on that papers, declaring my major as ministry and the peace that, that, that I felt in that. So I married my best friend right out of college. Uh, we went from our honeymoon to one day later, we were in Western New York starting our first ministry. I was a youth pastor in Western New York and were there for 11 plus years. I uh, went from youth ministry to outreach ministry and as an associate. And, and I knew at a certain point in there that God was calling me into a senior pastor role. And so I did the dance with a lot of churches. And if you've ever you know looked for a place of ministry, you know what that's like. You there's an interview and then there's an in-person and then you kind of see if there's a fit. And so we did that dance with several places and sometimes I ended it, sometimes they did. But after a couple of years of that, we realized, or at least I realized again in my life, I'd been successfully saying no to the Holy Spirit and he was really wanting me to plant a church. And so we explored that and God led us into Michigan. And in 2010, we uh, moved to Fenton and started Horizon Church. And about... Six months into that, we learned of a church about 20 minutes south of us uh, that was, uh, their pastor was leaving, and they asked if I'd come and step in and preach for them. And I said, you know, sure, I'm not doing anything Sunday mornings, because at that point, we were still getting the church off the ground. And by the end of that year, they said, would you be our pastor? And I said, well, I've got, you know, this other ministry that I'm trying to get off the ground. But uh, again, God was leading. And so we, we took that uh, responsibility. And so for eight years now, we've been in two cities uh, every Sunday morning, uh, preaching uh, in one uh, and then moving, you know, driving up to the next. And so uh, it's been, it's been an interesting journey, especially having two campuses that are small and one's not like the, the mother of the other. They're sort of like step siblings or something. I don't know how to, <laughs> how to say that. Um, but uh, it has been a really unique ministry and it's not what I envisioned. It's not what I planned. Um, 
but God has been really good. And we've got, I have four kids. I've got one that's a, a freshman at Spring Arbor University. I'm sorry, he's a sophomore. My goodness, I, it's gone so fast. He's a sophomore. Um, I've got a, a girl who's a junior and another one, a son who is eighth grader. And then my youngest is a fifth grader. And uh, they've, they've, they've planted the church with us. I mean, they've been there every step of the way. And then my wife, Jody, uh, is my best friend, ministry partner. She's really, she's like a, having a second staff person, you know. Um, unfortunately, she doesn't get get paid for any of that, but she has, she's really the heart and soul in a lot of ways of what we do in terms of outreach. So, um, so that's, that's kind of my story got me where I am right now. So I'm a little over 22 years into ministry and only really on, in two places. So that's kind of unusual too, that God's only had me in those two, two churches. So Chris, um, I, I know coming into to ministry and being in two churches was was really a struggle for you early on. Can mm-hmm. you tell us what a what a low point in ministry uh, looked like for you, and how did you recover from that? Well, I think there are two two low points that really stand out. One occurred in the summer of 2011. We had been working to plant the church for a year. And I'd had all kinds of meetings and many phone calls and just was working tirelessly to get a, a, a core group developed. And I just remember getting to the point where I just, I was, I thought, this is just stupid. You know, I mean, just in, in that moment of frustration and I thought, this is, why did we do this? You know, this is just a dumb idea from the start. We should have never done this. I remember uh, staying up till, you know, the wee hours of the morning with, with Jody. And we were just crying together and praying and just saying, this is, what are we doing? You know, God, you brought us here. Just like drop us off in the middle of no man's land. And you, you know, nothing's happening. You're not doing anything. And uh, that, that moment was, uh, was a low point. And from there, I mean, there's no place to go, but up. Right. So I began to just pray and just really seek God even more kind of doubled down on that taking these long prayer walks and just really saying, okay, we got to, We've got to. we've been doing this. We're going straight down. We're plummeting. We've got to pull up, you know, and, and uh, get out of this dive we're in. And out of that came this phrase that I have used really since then. And that's, it's not about you. And, and at that moment, you know, from that moment and through the, the time of recovery was God gently, mind you, whispering, it's not about you, Chris. And, and that became sort of a touchstone for me. Like when I would get frustrated, I have to go back to that and go, all right, have I, have I made this church plant about me? Has it been about my success, my drivenness, my acclaim, uh, you know, my desires, or am I really just in it for him? So that, that really kind of changed the trajectory for me. And that's sort of, those were the seeds of, um, what became the, you know, small church, big deal thing. But the second low point was in 2016. And I don't, I don't know if it's because I turned 40 that year. I don't, I, you know, I've, I've looked at this year many times to try to analyze what go, went on there. But uh, 2016 uh, was my 40th year. Uh, our church bought a building that year. Um, we lost in the first half of that year four really high performing like high output families that were just in the ministry, you know, you know, fully bought in. And it was uh, just a really tough loss. Um, We had an elder, I was on vacation and I got a, I got an email that had been sent out to most of the church from this elder saying, we're leaving the church. I'm on vacation. I'm just going, Oh man. Uh, So a lot of that was going on. Um, I just, there was a lot of pressure on me. I think a lot of it was self-inflicted, just taking on a lot of burdens to myself. Um, I felt I was letting the church down with this whole building thing. And there's a whole, that's a whole story I'm not even going to get into, but you, if you've ever bought a building with your church, you know, you're the pastor, you know, that that can just be a, it's a deal breaker for a lot of guys. They, or they get through a capital campaign and then they quit. They're like, enough, enough's enough. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I just felt like I was failing overall. And I started talking about quitting. I had no joy. I was angry at people all the time. Um, I started looking at job listings. I was going, man, I'm out of here. This is enough of this nonsense. 
And I was looking back at the six years from, you know, the time we moved into town going, what do I have to show for it? And, and through that year, I didn't even know it, but I was experiencing anxiety and depression. And it, I actually um, remember back in, it was 2008 when my first ministry, and I remember I was, I was having stomach aches and my heart was skipping beats. And I, I didn't know what it was. I just, I went on vacation, relaxed next to Lake Michigan for a week and came back refreshed, right? Well, when it started happening in 2016, um, I talked to some people and discovered what was going on. I was having anxiety attacks. I didn't know what they were though. I didn't know what to call them. I'd never had anything like that before. I didn't understand why my stomach would be upset and why my heart was skipping beats. I thought it was just, you know, stress or whatever. Hmm. So by the end of the year, it's probably October, um, I was a mess and I was really ready to quit. And so I reached out through our denomination to something called the Minister Assistance Program and found a counselor. I didn't even tell my wife. I didn't tell Jody. I just knew I had two choices, either quit or call someone and start dumping my stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I called and got an appointment with a, a guy and uh, started getting some counseling. And I went and saw, I saw him for several months and he gave me tools to understand why I was feeling the way I was feeling. Uh, he, he pointed out the thought patterns that needed to change in my life. Um, he helped me look at my schedule as a pastor, uh, change my mindset. And I'm t- telling you, if, if I had not done that, uh, I don't think I would be sitting here right now. Um, and I, wow. I, I, I didn't, I didn't tell my church. I didn't tell the elders. I mean, I told them I was struggling a little bit, but I didn't give them the, the full extent of what was going on. And I think looking back, that was a mistake. And, and I, and I say that with a caution because I've heard other pastors say, yeah, I told my church that I was having anxiety and depression and they fired me or something like that. And I've mm-hmm. heard those stories, yeah. but, but I, I realized looking back that they were on my side. And, and I needed to, I needed to be open about that. And so about a, about a year and a half ago, I actually did a series. I preached a series on anxiety and depression relating to Christians. And I said, look, this is real. And I shared my story and, and told them what was, had been going on in my life. And so I think that was a blessing to a lot of people to hear that uh, they weren't abnormal, you know, that it was, a, you know, it's okay for Christians to experience that. I think it's how we handle it. That obviously tells a story, but, but that was a, that was a low point for me. And, uh, you know, God has just been, it's been a gradual and steady recovery. I wouldn't say that I never have those issues or never have those thoughts about, you know, anxious thoughts or depression, but I'm, <laughs> I'm way ahead of where I was back in 2016. Chris, do you, do you think the, the, the preaching series, the opening up to, to your uh, elders, um, in and of itself was part of the healing process God was doing? Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like anything else. I mean, if you have an issue going on, the longer you hide it, um, you know, the more toxic I think it becomes, it festers. And, mm. and so just being able to put that out there, admit to it, you know, come clean, if you will, um, that, that took a burden off me. All that time I felt like I was hiding something from them and, yeah. uh, and they needed to know, yeah. they needed to know where I was. Chris, I really appreciate you sharing about uh, taking the time to, to go to counseling. I, too, had to use uh, the minister assistance program in Converge um, to get a counselor. And uh, I just want to reinforce what you said to, to pastors who may be listening out there. Um, getting a counselor and talking through some of the issues that I was dealing with was one of the best moves I ever made. And uh, like you said, I, I wouldn't have been able to continue in ministry uh, without it. So thank you so much for that, for sharing that. So you are connected with a, with a phrase, that phrase is small church, big deal. Um, where did that phrase come from? And tell us a little bit of the story behind that and what's come from that uh, since then. I mean, well, you've heard some of my own struggles and, and I didn't really flesh a lot of those out, um, but a lot of the struggles that I had in ministry came from trying to create a, that booming church, you know, the one that's just growing like crazy, you know, you know, 10 people a week, you just adding to the roles kind of thing. And I just, I I came into church planting with a lot of expectations, um, you know, just thought I'm going to, I'm going to plant this thing. It's going to take off and it's going to be a huge church. And um, I, I, 
I think my frustration was, God, I, this is what I want. It's what I've prayed for, but it's not what you're giving me. Um, I didn't want a small church. That's not what I signed up for. Um, I, I think there was frustration. So, you know, with expectations, I think there was frustration um, in particular training and seminars and conferences that I would go to that seemed to exalt size above every other metric. And I, and I, and I want to be careful in saying that because I don't think those conferences and those seminars intended that. I think if you asked the people promoting those conferences, which I'm not going to name, but they would say, no, man, we just want churches to grow and thrive and be healthy and for the glory of God. I think they would all say that. But the unspoken narrative there is you've got to be of a certain size in order to be on the platform, in order to have something valuable to say, in order to speak into the lives of other pastors. And that just really started to get under my skin. Um, I began to feel like, you know, if I went to a conference, I'd come back feeling insignificant. You know, like, well, these guys are running a ministry that's reaching, you know, 3,000 kids a week. Um, we don't even have 3,000 kids in our town. Like, we don't, that's not going to work for me. And and I, I said it to myself, I just began to think about this on my own. What if there was a conference that celebrated small churches or normal churches? And at the time, I didn't know about the Rural Home Missions Association. I didn't know about some of these other things that are happening out there. Uh, but I was talking with Jim Lacey about this, and, and I told him what I was thinking, and that phrase just popped out. You know, he said, well, what would you call it? I said, I don't know, small church, big deal. You know, I mean, it just, it just kind of came out of my mouth. <laughs> I didn't group think it or brainstorm it or, you know, focus group it. I just, it just felt right. And he even said, oh, that's a, I like that. That's a good idea. Um, but what it, what it boiled down to was that, you know, as I thought about that, the church is, is God's idea. And, and I think it's a, it's a crime. I think it's a sin to reduce it to simply who's the biggest, hmm. you know, I mean, that, you can't take something like the church that God has done and reduce it to that. And, and I think that we we're missing the blessing that the church is when we, when we talk about it only in terms of how many people are attending or whatever. And I, and I wanted, I wanted pastors to hear that no matter the size of their church, it was a big deal. Like they were significant. And, and I, I didn't, I didn't go into it saying, don't go to any of those other conferences. Cause I think there's some value there. And, um, but what I went into it um, with was this mentality of let's, let's do something for small churches by small churches. Um, it just totally directed towards their context. And so the first year we did that, I found the only guy who had any kind of recognition at all, which was Carl Vader's um, and he came and, and, and did that first conference and he just, he knocked it out of the park. Yeah. Um, and since then there's other guys that are kind of popping up, uh, you know, to step into that, uh, you know, that, um, that space, if you will, of, of ministering to small churches. But, uh, but that, that's where it came from. It was just this desire to break away from that mentality of I've got to be big, I've got to grow. And then there's, and, and go, wait a minute, what are we here to do? What is the church for? And, if the church has been small through most of its, I mean, locally been small through most of its history, then what's wrong with being small now? Like, why is that such a big deal? And so I had to, I had to flesh that out. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's awesome. I remember that first conference that you did. Uh, that was the most encouraging conference that I'd ever been to as a small church pastor. Um, Pete Scazzaro sometimes says, uh, you know, in relation to church size, he says, one of the things that scares him is, is if he builds a big church and then, and then God says to him, but my plan for you was to be faithful with a small group of people. Uh, he says that that would be a failure to me. Uh, you know, the, the size of the church doesn't necessarily uh, tell us our, whether or not we've been, been faithful. And you, you and Carl Vader said that again and again and again at that, that conference and really just did a great job encouraging us. So tell us a little bit more about what's come out of that, that conference um, and uh, some of the, the things that you've seen. Well, I, you know, I can go back to that first conference too, just for a minute and, and, and think back. I remember sitting up at one of the front tables with, with Jody and Carl was wrapping up the day, and I looked back at all these men and women who had gathered for this thing that, you know, again, I had, this was a, just a total 
act of faith on, on our part. We had no idea we, anybody would even show up to this thing. But I remember looking at these faces and, and more than one pastor just crying, you know, just tears streaming down their face because they were being freed. You know, they were being told, you do not have to live up to these expectations of being huge. Like you're doing good work. Just keep it up. Don't stop, you know? And I think that was just such a countercultural message at that time. And I know that it's, it's not because it's biblical and everything, but again, we've just gotten immersed in this culture of, you know, bigger is better and everything. But I just remember that really freeing a lot of people. And, and I think so much, uh, what I'm trying to do now is I think so much of our, our church culture, our perception with church is colored by the, by the word program or event. You know, what is this church offering me and my family to enhance our Christian experience? And what I'm really trying to do is get people to look at the advantages of a small church and, and program and event don't really fit under that heading. I mean, they can. Some small churches have great programs and events, but but I really am trying to move people away from that uh, that mindset. You know, you can't compare a church of 1,500 to a church of 60. It's not, It's there's no comparison. It's not apples to apples. It's more like, you know, apples to, to kumquats or something. Like they're completely <laughs> different uh, entities entirely, right? And I, and I think that um, we're, we're fighting against a culture where, and I've seen this in, in, in my own ministry, where people are part of the church and they remember one couple had like five kids and we're like, this is fantastic. We've got kids here. We can build on this. And after two years, they came to me and said, there's really not enough for our kids. We're going to go to the church of, you know, 800 down the street. And I'm mm-hmm. going, yeah, but if you leave, you know, then what happens, you know, and what you, you gut this, this, you know, children's ministry. And, and I, I, so, and I don't, you know, I don't only think against those people, they made a decision and, and we talked it out and everything. But my point is that I want, uh, people to see that the value in a small church isn't going to be in having huge programs and events. It's going to be in what's happening within those walls among the people. Um, you know, that, that size has no bearing on the level and impact a ministry can have. And I'm going to say that again. The size of the church has no bearing on the level and impact the ministry can have. You, the level of ministry, the impact of ministry can be huge even in a small place. And that, that's what people need to see. Uh, they've got to see the advantages of a small church. I think, I think one of the biggest ones, if people would, would just lean into this, this whole idea of knowing others and being known. Uh, I, I talk to, you know, people come from big churches sometimes to, to ours and they tell me, yeah, we couldn't, you know, we left that big church and I get in more in depth with them and I find out that they just didn't know anyone. There was no connection. Um, that's huge, knowing and being known. And that can also be a liability. You know, I mean, you can sometimes being known is, uh, ah, you, I got people up in my stuff, you know. Right. Um, but knowing and being known, I think uh, pastoral care and availability by the, of the pastor is just huge, you know. And, and see, I think this is where the small church really shines. And I want pastors to understand this. Like when you're pastoring 50 or 60 people, I, <laughs> It's so different than if you're preaching to a crowd, you know, that's your primary responsibility. You're preaching to a crowd and then you have your staff that you're dealing with, you know, and you're kind of discipling them. But when you're the pastor of 50 or 60 people, like those people are your personal responsibility. They're in your life. They're, you know, you're going, you're showing up at ball games at the school with them. You see them around town. You're, you're, you're interacting with this little family and, they're yours to care for. They're, you know, God has entrusted them to you. And I know that as in a big church, you could take that same sense of responsibility, but I think in a, in a small church, man, that's, I just, I had a guy call me at six o'clock this morning to tell me that his dad had passed. And he's like, pastor, I didn't know, you know, if you'd be awake. And, and I was, but he's like, I just, I just had to tell you, and would you do the funeral and this and that? And, and I'm telling you, in the, in the pastors that I've talked with and other, and other church members, their, their churches, they cannot do that. That's not acceptable. They're not allowed. They can't just pick up the phone and call the pastor's private cell phone. And I think that's, you know, helping a pastor realize just what a special privilege that is. I think it goes a long way to, you know, changing the perception of, of their church. 
it just seems to me that that what you're saying in in small churches, um, or you use the term normal churches, um, or uh, we've kind of coined the phrase ordinary churches, because uh, you know the vast number of congregations are these these smaller contexts for ministry. That it, yeah. it's as you said that that program or event isn't the priority or shouldn't be the priority that what creates tension is trying to generate big church ministry in a small church context. Yeah. Um, but instead it's relationship. Mm -hmm. It's all about relationship uh, uh, about the privilege, as you say, of, of being involved in people's lives and, and then also the responsibility that that comes with relationship. Yes. Because I think one of the, the lures of programming is uh, a program is neutral. You you don't have uh, a, a heart relationship with a program. It either works or it doesn't. And if it doesn't work, you can cut it out and not worry about how it feels or anything mm -hmm. like that. Yeah. Whereas if you're dealing in the stuff of people's lives, it uh, allows for a depth of connection that that I would contend, I think you would too, that, that that's the ministry of the gospel mm -hmm. at that heart level. Yeah. So it, it seems to me then that being a small church pastor brings with it just huge challenges that a big church pastor wouldn't necessarily have in, in terms of knowing how to deal with those relationships, mm -hmm. uh, knowing how to draw boundaries, say, yeah, I am accessible on my personal cell phone, but yeah. I still need to care for myself. Um, talk a little bit about that, if you would, about about how the pastor cares for himself in in that small church context. Yeah, uh, because you're right. Availability is a is, it is huge. I mean, in a small church, that the people can can access the pastor and have that kind of relationship with them. Um, but it it starts with establishing very strong uh, and firm boundaries. And I, you know, I think looking at my ministry, I've done that fairly well. Uh, you know, carving out a day that I'm just not accessible. And I, and I've, I've preached this and I've taught, you know, told other pastors to do this, you know, even if it means, you know, on my, my personal cell phone, if you call me and you listen to the whole voicemail, like, Hey, this is Chris, leave me a message kind of thing. If you listen to that, I say, if it's Monday, don't expect to hear from me. You know, if it's Monday, I'll get to you sometime Tuesday, but this is my day off. And so every person who's ever called me and left a voicemail has heard, Chris's day off is Monday. And so that just sort of sets, it's a kind of a passive way of setting that boundary. And people know, uh, they just don't, I mean, some people still send me stuff and I just ignore it, but Monday is the day. And I, so I've set that boundary. Um, I've also had to limit the nights that I'm out and be very clear with people. I've just said, look, I, you know, I, maybe two nights, that's about all I can do during the week. So, so if I say to you, uh, Hey, I'd love to meet with you, but you know what? I've already got two nights out this week. Let's let's plan a, let's plan another week out. Um, you know, just helping people understand where that's coming from. Uh, you know, the the because I've got a they they need me, but I've got to come home and and share with my wife and my kids. Hey, I'm out another night. You know, and and trust me, uh, I'm saying this like it's all you know, it's a done deal and it's easy, but it's taken many years of ministry and a lot of discussions with my wife to come to that and to realize, Hey, we've got to limit it. So, so yeah, there's, there's the day off, there's the, the nights and just communicating those in a gentle and loving way to say, I'm here for you all of these other times. Uh, but these are times I have to, I have to have for myself. So I would encourage any pastor, don't feel bad about that. Don't, don't hesitate to do that. You have to do it for your own sanity and your own peace of mind, you know, and your own relationship with Jesus. And, and there's that sense, if, if I'm going to serve you well, I need to be well. Yeah, yep, absolutely. And I think that's what a lot of pastors miss. Um, you know, they, they spend themselves in the service of their people. And really what they're giving isn't, isn't the best. It's not their top notch. It's not the, you know, the best that they can mm -hmm. offer. It's the dregs because they're they're just wasted. They're they're wore out. So we yeah definitely have to to take care of ourselves. You know, going back to your original question about what am I trying to to communicate to the to the small church and about the small church? And I think I would say that the the size of the congregation is not a reflection of the the skill or the passion of the pastor. 
I want pastors to hear that, that the size of the church has, is no reflection on their skill or their passion. Because if you look, if you were to look all around the world, there's amazing preachers and teachers and, and leaders and, and disciples all over the world that are serving in obscurity. Uh, and I, I, I think I wrote this and I've said it in my talks that the best, you know, the, the most rewarded people when we get to heaven and on that, that day of judgment and God's just handing out rewards, I think the, the ones receiving the most rewards are going to be people we've never heard of. And that's just my, that's the way I, I see it. I feel like there's going to be a lot of faithful people receiving reward and uh, we're going to go, who, who's that? You ever heard of him? No. You know, he was from, you know, podunk somewhere, you know, middle of Africa or India or wherever. Except that small group of people that did receive that ministry who are going to say, well, that makes there sense. There you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a great point. I need to add that. So, Chris, um, just just thinking about the discouragement that a small church pastor sometimes faces. You, you know, you mentioned going to the conferences and feeling like we're you know less than because we've got the the one percent of church size pastors speaking to the rest of us. And and one of the things that that you've touched on already is that you're trying to change the way how people view these small churches. Is there, is there anything else that we need to keep in mind uh, as we talk about small churches um, or normal sized churches, as we've said, um, that, that we really need to change the narrative on? I think it goes back a little bit to what I just mentioned about skill and passion. Um, I think there is, there's a sense in which we feel like, you know, if the church is small, the pastor is not doing everything he can to, to make it grow. And I, and I've, I've seen that in books and I've heard it taught that, um, you know, that there's somehow a deficiency. And, and I want to I want to be cautious here because I don't want to I don't want to tell the pastor who maybe isn't doing everything. Well, I don't want to make him think, oh, I'm fine. I don't need to advance. I don't need to you know progress in my ministry. But I do think that the vast majority of, of evangelical churches that are in that, you know, 50 to 100 range, I think these guys are passionate about serving Jesus. I think they are passionate about ministry and to be repeatedly told you're not doing enough or you need to revamp this or you need some kind of ministry, a coaching program to get you unstuck or whatever it is. I think that that's got to change. I think I think rather than going to some of these pastors and telling them, well, how, how can we help you get past 100? How can we help you break these barriers? I think they ought to be asking these guys, you know, what are the things that you've learned pastoring in a small church? How do you care well for people? Like, let's ask them what they're doing well instead of telling them what they're not doing. I think that would flip the, the script, so to speak, um, and, and, and sort of turn all this on its head because we're always asking the big guys, you know, the 1%, how did you get this big? What about the guy who's been serving for 30 years? I want to know how he lasted in a town of, you know, 800 people for 30 years. What does that take? What 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 do you have to be doing as a as a Christian and as a person to to do that for that long and do it faithfully? You know, and I so I think that there's a that that's a huge part of this narrative that needs to change. All right, just because of the size, we assume they need help, and I would say we need to assume that they have something to offer. That's that's a huge part of this. One of the things your conference did for me was help me understand that there are other things besides the size of the church that go into, um, you know, how the, the church grows. Um, we started to, to look at the metrics around uh, the community size, around the affluence in the community, um, uh, around the types of leaders that were available to us. And one of the things we found is that in in churches that grow, um, they often are in growing affluent communities. Uh, Not all of them, but most of them. Uh, They have a team of leaders. It's not all on one person. Uh, They have a team of really dynamic leaders. And so there's a whole bunch of things that come together all at once. And so one of the things I started to do is go back and say, well, let's look at what God has given us to work with. Mm and ask, how are we doing based on where we are at in our ministry context? And we are in a church of, in a town of 250 people. And uh, one of our outreaches was uh, like a trunk or treat outreach where we drew 500 people in. To me, that's a huge win. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, how many churches are going to draw twice their population, their community's population in, in? So learning to see 
the the effectiveness of a church within its context was a huge benefit to me uh, from that I learned from your your conference that you put together. That's a, that's a great point. I think you know we we would uh, sometimes look at what we're doing in terms of outreach, for example, and you know we say we have fifty people uh, attending and we do an outreach and we get you know six or seven people to participate in that and serving. I go that's that's more than ten percent of our Sunday morning attendance. That's fantastic. Like that's, we need to see that as we've got 10, 10% of the people believe in this culture and are out here doing this outreach. Um, and, and you could, you could take that to every, every aspect of the church, you know, it's, it's on a scale. And so we, yeah, you're right. We've got to look at the wins in relation to where we're at. Um, and not only that, but, but looking at, you know, I look at the guy who's maybe leading that church of 1500, um, he's, he has to have a whole different set of leadership skills than the guy who's leading the church of 60 and to see the, the win there that, you know, he, he might, he might be out of his depth in a, in a church of 60 people where it's kind of all on him and he's only got like a couple part-time or, you know, mm. volunteers or whatever. And so even seeing the scaled down, uh, principles and leadership, I think that's, that's a win to be able to say, I'm managing, a, you know, 50 people. Uh, sometimes it's like herding cats, you know, but I'm, I'm managing that and, and God is working through that. That's, that's a win too. And it's contextual. So yeah, I think that's a great point, Sean. There's a lot of uh, aspects like that to the small church. Just need to look at them differently. So, so one of the realities in small church ministry is sometimes um, because we have this close connection with the people that, that we're ministering to, um, they also have potential to have a bigger impact in our life, both for good and for bad, unfortunately. Uh, sometimes the criticisms hurt a little bit more because they're coming from people that we're closer to. Um, or uh, when somebody leaves, we feel that sense of uh, abandonment a little bit more keenly because we've invested so much in this person's life. How do you, uh, as a pastor, just keep your sense of identity in Christ and not in the work, not in the people, not in the church. I'm glad you're asking that. I mean, that's a whole chapter in the book um, because that is such an issue. And uh, we do tend to tie ourselves pretty closely to the work. I got to say, that's a journey I'm on. That's a, that, that, that constant breaking away um, and finding my identity solely in Christ. Is, that's, a, that's a journey because it's easy to get, get sidetracked. And I think there's levels of identification too. You can identify yourself in Christ or just as a man or as a, just as a person or as a husband, a pastor. Um, I think one of the things that has probably helped me the most in that is to, is to find an, another outlet for my passions, to let people know in my church that I, I have a life apart from them. And it, it might sound uh, negative, but it, there, are some, there are passions that I don't really mix with my ministry. For example, I, I love writing. You mentioned the books, you know, I'm working on another one um, right now and they know that I write, but I'm not hawking my books every Sunday or, you know, putting up a table and signing for them after the service. <laughs> it's just something I do. And it's apart from the ministry. I love woodworking, you know, so I, I, I do that, but I don't advertise that um, because I have to have something apart from pastoring. And I say in the book uh, that, it is a calling, but it's also a job. And, and I think we can get so wrapped up in it that we're like, oh, it's my calling. It's I have to do this. And, and we talked earlier about family and that, that we can, we can abandon everything, you know, and, and work 168 hours a week in, in ministry and, and forget ourselves, forget our families, forget that we need to have a life uh, apart from that. So yeah, so finding an outlet for my passions, I think another thing that's really helped me in recent years, because I didn't do this for a long time, and that is um, giving away ministry, which I know every small church pastor is going to go, give it away to who? You know, that's the big <laughs> question. Like, who do you who do you transfer ministry to? Um, but I, just as an example, I had a small group meeting in my home for 10 years. I mean, we, we basically started the church in the living room, and then we started meeting on Sundays in another location, but we never stopped meeting in my living room. And that group has changed personnel faces over the years. Uh, but it's, it's always been almost 20 people. That's not a small group. Mm. You know, that's like a second mm -hmm. meeting of the church. Mm. And so I finally, this year, I said, I'm done. 
I'm not leading this group anymore. And I broke it down and found a few people to lead and, and they sort of scattered. And uh, there was just a little bit of attrition. You know, we lost a couple people, but by and large, they all fell into other groups and they're doing fine. And that gave me the opportunity to, to, to go to those groups and visit them, you know, but I came as a guest, not as pastor leading the group. And so, so that, that's healthy for my heart. That's healthy for me uh, mentally um, to go, you know what? I don't have to always be the guy in charge. My, my identity is not wrapped up in being the leader. It's in, it's in being Chris, you know, beloved child of God and, uh, you know, just trying to help people equip them for ministry. Like I, it's, it's just a, it's a different way of, of, of looking at it. I, I, I take frequent, uh, take frequent breaks. Dave Jacobs um, said, you know, if you're working, if you're working consistently more than 50 or 55 hours a week, you're probably going to burn out. Mm-hmm. And I, I took it to the bank. I'm like, you know, he's got a point. Why am I always tired? Well, it's because I'm, I'm working 55 hours a week. I got guys in my church that go and work at the shop they only have an eight hour shift. Sometimes they get asked to do nine, but even at the end of that week, they've only worked 45, 46 hours. Why am I, you know, going 55 or 60 hours? And so I've dialed it back because the more I pour into that, the more I identify with that as my, that's my soul, soul identity, soul source of satisfaction. And so I've got to back away from that. Um, So I take a lot of breaks. Pastors have got to stop wearing that, you know, I worked 14 days without a break, you know, thing as a badge of honor. That's not a badge of honor. That's a sign of a moron. I'm sorry. Oh, I shouldn't have said that. Right. Um, (laughs) No, that's, that's foolishness. That's foolishness. Um, And that's not what God's calling us to. And so, so I think, you know, finding that, that, that place outside the ministry, who am I? Uh, And I think that, um, you know, we take these disc profiles and we take Myers-Briggs and we take all these, you know, strengths finders. And I know people now are into this like any Enneagram thing. I don't know. I haven't, I haven't done that, but, uh, but they, they take that and they apply it solely to their ministry. Hmm. Like that's, uh, this only has application in my ministry. And I'm going, no, actually it tells you like who you are and what you love to do and what you're good at. Like, it's not just a vocational test you know, and so, so lean into those things that make you, you. Mm. So that, that's, that's what I've been doing over the last few years. I'm really just trying to, to enhance and, and, you know, still getting the job done, but I'm, I'm taking a lot more time for myself. You mentioned uh, Dave Jacobs uh, as one of your, the guys who came to speak at your conference. And one of the best moments was when he says, I think small church pastors need to be working no more than 35 hours a week. And everybody in the room laughed. Yeah. And then he says, now think about this, really think about this. If you take your hours, plus all the other times that you're, you're not technically working, but you're thinking about the church, you're working on things in your mind for the church, you're carrying the weight of the church, and you add that on, uh, if you're working 35 hours a week, plus mental and emotional drain, you're probably up to 55 hours a week easily. Right. Um, and and he, had a, he had an interesting point that, um, that by working less, you have to be more intentional about the work that you do and you have to, to prioritize. And I think that's, that's kind of what you're saying here is, is that we have to be really careful to do the work that God has made us to do, um, and not try and do things that other people are gifted for, hand that off, let it go and, and just be who we are in, in our mm-hmm. calling. I would just to, to follow up on that, um, there's a, a phrase that, that we've talked before about on the, on the podcast and actually has been part of my life over the last eight years. Uh, it's just a question that first came to me from a friend of mine uh, in ministry who said uh, with great fear in his voice, who would I be if I'm not a pastor? You know, I've really begun to embrace that as a good question to be asking myself. Because it, it does force me, well, it, it's really forced me to address that issue. Who am I apart from what I do? Um, mm-hmm. And particularly in, in pastoral ministry, who am I if I'm not a pastor? And as you've already said, you know, it, it drives us back to our identity in Christ. Uh, mm-hmm. Fundamentally, that does not change, that, that seeks its life out in the many roles 
which we're called to live, one of which is as pastor mm-hmm. and, and learning to live life from that foundation, I think for me, um, has been freeing, but it can be, yeah. it can be a source of great fear to, to think about, well, who would I be if, you know, I, I think that's why some pastors never retire. I think mm-hmm. that's why some pastors, um, have no friends. Uh, it, it's because of a, a fear uh, or an unknowing of who they are apart from the role that they're filling. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that question is, is huge. Go ahead, Chris. No, I just, I just going to jump on that and say, yeah, I think that, you know, when we think about that question, I think for a lot of pastors, their mind immediately goes to what would I do to earn money if I wasn't a pastor? And that's not the question. Mm-hmm. You know, the question is, right. who are you? Like, what makes you, you? And if the only thing that, that defines you is being a pastor, then you've got some, you got some work to do. You got some heart work to do. And, you know, you, you, you've got to figure that out. And, and I think that, uh, you know, the, the answer really is right in front of them. It's what they're, they should be teaching all the time. Right. And that is, you know, that we are uh, children of God, um, loved and forgiven. And, and what does that mean? What is that how should that impact my life on a daily basis? And so I, you know, that's, that's why one of the great joys of my ministry is discipling people, because not only does it help them, but it helps me to reinforce that every time I go over that with someone, who are you in Christ? And it's just like that, you know, constant whisper in my ear, you know, it's not about what you do. It's not about how successful you are in this ministry thing you know, Chris, you're, you're my, you're my son. You know, I love you. I accept you. I received you and coming back to that over and over. So refreshing. That's awesome. So, so Chris, um, as we kind of wind down our time a little bit, we had a couple of questions for you as a pastor, what, what gives you hope as a pastor? Well, I guess it would be appropriate to say that the small things, um, you know, uh, the little, the little things in ministry, I, what gives me hope is when I sit down with, with some new believers and I start to disciple them, and I see them making strides in their faith. I go, the church is alive. The church is is alive and well. You know, um, I, I love that. Uh, you know, we celebrate every person or every couple that that comes into the church. You know, we're we don't welcome them in. You know, forty at a time, and and say hey, these are the new members. Like we celebrate every single person, and I just. And I see the the joy in our people's faces when when someone comes to know Christ. I love I love baptisms. I see so much hope when I'm you know when we're baptizing a a 50 year old woman, teenager, and then a five year old or six year old. You know, I mean, just that's that's the hope of the church right there, and it's it gives me so much hope. And and I, and I think I, I I find a lot of hope in knowing that God is doing so much more than I can see. He's just, he's at work. You know, it's like that song that everybody's singing now, you know, even when I don't see that, see him, he's working uh, the way maker. I know I'm botching the words horribly, but you know, what I say Sunday, it's, I know it's important and I prepare that way, you know, for what I'm going to preach, but what I say and what they hear sometimes is so, it's so often worlds apart that I just know the Holy Spirit is, he's at work. And that gives me hope too, to know that, you know, whether I'm there or not, uh, you know, God is, God is at work in our midst and he's speaking to people. So that's, that's a huge encouragement. That gives me a lot of hope to know that he's, he's busy working even when, when I didn't, don't see it, you know, don't think that it's happening. You know, one of the things I love about you is how much you have a heart for encouraging other pastors. I mean, you built a conference around it. How many people do that? Uh, but uh, um, I've seen you do that again and again. And I just want to give you an opportunity. Uh, what encouragement can you offer to our listeners who may be pastors who are struggling to, to find hope in ministry right now? I would say, first of all, don't, don't get weary. Um, don't, don't let that be what, what stops you. You know, we, I said earlier, I, when I was feeling that way, I got help. So don't, don't grow weary. Keep your hand on the plow. Even if you're getting dragged by the plow, just keep keep your hand on it. Don't let go. Uh, you know, take as many spiritual retreats, sabbaticals, extended vacations as you can get away with. I mean, do what you have to do to, to stay in it. Don't, don't give up. Don't walk away because God sees what you're doing. He sees it. And I, 
I say to any pastor who's who's discouraged, you know, who's saying, man, nothing good has happened here. There's nothing that seems to be going on. I, we're not growing. I don't see people coming to faith. Listen, God sees what's going on. He knows what you're doing. And so the, you know, that quick text that you send out to a member or the phone call to the person in a hospital or the, the family in need that you drop by to see on your way home, like God sees all of that. I just, I would say the desire that you have in your heart to interact with every person you see on Sunday morning, like God knows that desire that's in you, that heart for ministry. Others might not see it, but you're not working for them, right? I mean, you're serving them, but you're working for God. And, and so keeping that in front of us, you know, that that's all for him. And I think, you know, this, this month was, uh, we're winding down. It's, it was pastor appreciation month. I'm not sure who declared that years ago, like who made that up, but, um, you know, you may not get pastor that's listening. You might not get anything from your congregation. They might not recognize it. Um, but I want you to know every day is pastor appreciation day in God's eyes. He sees you, he loves you and he wants you to keep going. And, uh, I, I don't know where everyone who's listening, where they're at mentally, but for me, uh, I want to receive a crown that will never fade away. I want to hear the words well done. And I probably never, you know, might get some accolades here, but I want to hear well done from, from my father. And so, uh, yeah, don't give up. Don't give up. He sees what you're doing and uh, he loves you. That would be my word of encouragement. Thanks, Chris. Uh, the, the book is Small Church, Big Deal. Same name as the conference. Where, where can people find a copy of your book? Yeah, so it's easy to find. You can go to Amazon and you can type in uh, my name, uh, Chris Vitarello. You can type in Small Church, Big Deal. And it'll pop up there near the top of the search. Um, and you can get it in Kindle version. You can download or download that or you can get a hard copy. But it's there. Uh, if you go to my author page, there's several other books there that might be of interest to you if you like fiction. Um, I wrote a couple of novels about Samson and uh, kind of a modern retelling of that. Um, so, yeah, there's some there's some fun stuff there. But uh, the book is, is available on Amazon if you want to get it. And it's got a study guide with it. Um, and there's a couple videos on the website as well that you can watch if you want to get more info. And I'm also always looking for opportunities to, to speak on this. Um, we have the conference, but we're sort of on hold with COVID. I uh, was looking to do something virtual this year, and it's just not going to work out. Um, a lot of technical details with that. But uh, looking forward to getting out again and sharing this message with, with pastors. Chris, thanks so much for joining us today on Hope Renewed. It's been my pleasure. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Thank you for having me. It's been a great time. And as always, we invite our listeners to rate and review Hope Renewed in iTunes or your favorite podcast app and share the podcast with your friends on social media. It's a great way to help us and to bring hope to others. Thanks for joining us today. It's our prayer that you are encouraged in your ministry because of who you are in Jesus Christ, called, commissioned, equipped, and sent with the hope of the gospel alive in you. PIR Ministries partners with God and the Church in the work of pastoral renewal and restoration to cultivate new hope for healthy ministry lives. You can learn more about us at our webpage, pirministries.org, or email us at info at pirministries.org. Thanks for joining us for Hope Renewed, and remember, the hope Christ offers will never put us to shame.